This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The Barnes Foundation houses one of the finest collections of Impressionist, Post-Impressionist, and early Modernist paintings in the world. It is also an institution geared towards education of the fine arts and horticulture. When the museum moved locations from the suburbs of Philadelphia to downtown Center City in 2012, its membership jumped from around 400 to 20,000, while the numbers of visitors more than tripled. Over time, those numbers came down, and the museum found itself in need of help to better understand and forecast attendance. That's where the Wharton Customer Analytics Initiative comes in and what WCAI was able to do for the Barnes provides a good example of the increased role of analytics in business. Margaret Zaminda is Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer as well as Chief Operating Officer of the Barnes Foundation and she joins me here in studio. Good, good to Dan. see you. Great to, great to meet you. Great Thanks for coming. Great to meet you too. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I guess let's start with the relationship you have with Wharton Customer Analytics Initiative and how this really is playing an impact on what the Barnes tries to do on a day-to-day basis. Yep. So um, we were very fortunate uh, to be introduced to the Wharton Customer Analytics Initiative um, in the fall of last year. And we we found ourselves um, now seven years into our move to Philadelphia with our revenue um, declining. And that's not unusual for institutions that open a new building or do something very different. But we, we began to be concerned that we couldn't see where bottom would be. Right. Um, and and with a limited data set, we didn't have the tools um, or the staff to really help us think about how to put a predictive model together for um, for predicting our revenues. And that's where um, that's where, when we were introduced to the team. Uh, we handed them a big pile of data. Um, <laughs> and of course, we, we, um, we said, well, we'd like to know about our customer behavior. We'd like to know about pricing. We'd like to know about this. We'd like to know about that. And um, the students then reminded us that it was a four-week project. So um, perhaps we needed to tailor at least this first project to something that was achievable and deliverable. And they did a fantastic job. How much do you see and or did you see an issue? And it's something that I think is out there in general now in this world of big data of just understanding the data and what it truly means, especially for an institution like the Barnes, which is relying on people coming and visiting all of these beautiful pieces of art. Absolutely. It, it's, um, you know, more and more. And it's interesting. One of the speakers this morning talked about you used to be able to put your finger up in the air and, and, and you know, figure out what was going to happen. And I think we've we've come to the realization that that that's not sufficient anymore. You may have good instincts right. about how many people you think will come, right. um, but instinct isn't enough. So I think the issue is that we have a lot of data, right. um, how you organize it and how you present it so that it's understandable and then actionable yeah. in terms of a decision about pricing or a decision about an exhibition or a decision about timing of certain things that you're going to do. That's the thing that that you know the the analytics team has sort of made us rethink about in a very uh, different way than we had before. But I, I guess to a degree, there's also uh, when you're talking about the nonprofit sector, there at times also is a shift in mindset and understanding a lot of these concepts so that you have more of that business frame framework so that you can move forward. So even though you're a nonprofit, you're living in many cases on a lot of the principles that that many businesses go by. You absolutely do. And I think that's one of the great things about, um, it's one of the great things about 
the board governance structure. Our board is very business oriented. Right. Um, the chair of our board is very business oriented. So, so thinking and feeling is interesting, but data really saves the day. So um, I, I think our board has challenged us. Um, you know, even with the size of of our staff, which is less than a hundred people, to to really you know harness the the power of the data that we have and to think much more analytically about where we're where we're going forward. I think I mentioned to you earlier. You know, my background is not in the fine arts. I'm not a right. I'm not an MFA. I have a, an MBA from the Booth School of Business in Chicago. Um, I spent 20 years in the manufacturing sector before I um, went to the not-for-profit sector. And I think that's a trend that you see um, in a lot of not-for-profits where um, the the chief, you know, the, the CEO or the um, you know, the person who's leading the institution is more on mission. So a lot of them are um, in, in the orchestra world, they're musicians. Right. In the in the fine arts world, they're former curators. Um, but there's but that that complementary pairing with a business person is is really a competitive advantage. So where I think. do you, where do you think you've seen that that your background has impacted this specific institution, the Barnes, the most over that time? <laughs> oh, that's that's kind of a loaded question. So when I came to the Barnes, um, well, we had a staff of thirty eight. Right. Um, I would say that the financial control structure was um, was not strong. Um, budgets were. Done in the closet by the by the CEO, they weren't shared broadly with the staff. And I think when you come from um, from the for profit world, there's a much more distributed thinking about sure. about how you run the business. Yeah. And I think that's that's the big change that I think that I brought um, to the institution. I think the other thing that's so important is that you know it's incumbent on finance people to be able to um, to communicate. Uh, financial results to to the rest of the institution as well as to the board, and to make it understandable. You know, not right. everybody is a business person, and so um, I, I think that's a skill um, that isn't always evident mm-hmm. in finance people, and I think it's one that is absolutely crucial. But the, it's not only just the the the, the kind of enclosed nature at times that may have been surrounding a lot of the financials. But when you're coming from the business sector, from the business world, that's the norm. That's the expectation, especially if you're a publicly traded company and you're putting out these results on a quarterly basis, you know, these numbers are coming out. Yep. And and I was in a public company for many years and was the treasurer and investor relations director in my last role. So, um, so you're on analyst calls, you're, you're, um, you know, you're, you're doing quarterly conference calls. Right. So so you are used to communicating financial results. Um, and I think in the not-for-profit world, that isn't always, um, it isn't always as transparent, um, I think, as, as it kind of needs to be. And, and I would guess that the same can be said at times where analytics plays in, because the the use of analytics, I would imagine, is probably relatively new when you're talking about the fine arts world. Oh, absolutely. Be- and it, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Be- because I think the, the perception of fine arts has always been you're doing good for the community. You're bringing something forward. And whatever occurs or the, the amount of people that you get after that, that's to a degree that's gravy on top of the on top of the meal. Well, and I think some of that depends on the capital structure of the institution. You know, right. there, are, there are a lot of arts institutions um, that are very well endowed. So the 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 take from ticketing or retail or events um, is not as essential to their day to day financial results for us. 
Um, we have an endowment that is um, small in comparison to uh, some of our some of our peer institutions. Uh, it funds about seventeen percent of our operating budget. Right. So so we need the the um, you know the ongoing revenue from both the gate as well as from um, annual fundraising. So it, it is important. And and frankly, we have a very strong commitment to produce a balanced budget. And we've done that in every year since we've been on the Parkway. Your your location, as you mentioned, is on the Ben Franklin Parkway. It is. Uh, which for people listening are, are around. Around the, the country, it is one of the premier locations, I think, in, in the city of Philadelphia. You have a variety of different neighborhoods. Yeah. But in terms of the location where you are set right now with the building that's been there for a few years, you are, what, a quarter of a mile or so from the Philadelphia from the Museum Philadelphia of Museum of Art, yep. which is well known by, by so many people around the world as well. So how does that relationship work between the, the two institutions? Well, it, it, it's interesting because when we opened in 2012, it was at the same time that the Philadelphia Museum of Art was reopening the Rodin Museum. Okay. Um, they had done a big renovation then. And I think that timing was not um, was not a, a, a it wasn't a it was it was purposeful. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, you right. know, so right. so it it allowed for the Rodan to to piggyback off of our um, openings. And I think, you know, we we really feel that and I think the folks at the at the Philadelphia Museum of Art would say that a rising tide raises all boats. So sure. the more activity that there is on the parkway, um, the, the better it is for everyone. Uh, we're actually doing a, uh, a promotion this summer with the with the PMA, uh, where if you buy a combination ticket, you know, to both the Barnes and the PMA, um, there's a there's a discount structure in place for that, right. which which we, you know, we'd love to promote that sure. um, for, you know, both, you know, primarily for folks in town, but as well as for the tourist well, population. I, and that was going to be my next question, because it, Philadelphia is obviously a huge destination for tourists, obviously with the historical elements that we have here in Philadelphia. So what does that relationship have to be with the city as well? And thinking also about I would imagine through the Tourism Bureau, uh, the the data and the analytics that they are garnering as well about people coming to to visit Philadelphia. Yep. So we our work that that same ticket offer that I just talked about is also going to be at the Independence Visitor Center, which is really the place in town that sees the folks who are in for uh, a lot of the historical uh, sites. The, right. the IVC is one of the first places that they come. The the um, the CVB uh, has been a great partner to us. Um, it's they certainly, um, you know, utilize uh, us as a resource when they're bringing foreign press in um, to to come and you know sort of extol the virtues of the city. Um, we we have a, a, I think an amazing site um, between the Free Library and the Rodan, and um, it's a beautiful building and. Um, and I think the the other interesting thing is, you know, we're working with the folks um, at, with the, in the Fairmount Park Conservancy in the city. They do a big pop up uh, in the summer called the Oval, which is very family oriented for yep. a lot of our locals. And, you know, all of those things help to increase our visibility. The other part to it, and speaking of that with your location, is playing off of what you just said, the number of events that are being brought to the Ben Franklin Parkway here in Philadelphia on an annual basis. And especially in the summertime, as you, it's, it's a great time for, and like in many cities around the country, it's a great time for people to be able to get out in, the, in their community and be able to go to a variety of events. And the parkway has become, here in Philadelphia, just a kind of a natural venue 
to be able to put on large scale events. It, it has been. And and frankly, it's one of the things that um, that we are talking uh, to the city a lot about um, in in some cases. Um, you know, f- so, for instance, the Fourth of July, where um, you know, the, the Welcome America Festival happens on yep. the parkway. Um, you know, that's a Fourth of July is actually a day that we close because we can't compete with sure. all of the free programming that happens um, on the parkway. In some cases, those large scale events are um, are beneficial to us where they get people um, who are in town and they maybe are coming in for something else, but they see the barns or they look it up on Google or on the Parkway Museum's district website, and um, they learn something about us, and they come in, and maybe not on the first visit, but maybe on the next visit. So, um, you know, we're we're happy to be where we are right but now. It, but it is unique, and for people that don't know, the layout of Philadelphia, where you have all of the historical elements that are down around Independence Hall, but then you and the Philadelphia Museum of Art and the, the, Franklin, and the, Fra- and the right are, are, all... are away from that area. Yep. So it's a unique dynamic in terms of working with all of those entities, but yet also being able to attract all of those people if they choose to go to Independence Hall, then to come up to the Barnes or one of the other institutions on the other side of Philadelphia. Yep. So the flash bus helps with that because that yeah. runs a loop all through the historic district, um, through out to the parkway, and then also out to the zoo and to the Please Touch Museum, which is the Children's Museum out in Fairmount. Um, I think you know Philadelphia has an incredible amount of things to offer, and right. I and I think being visible at a place like the Independence Visitor Center is really important for the um, for the cultural institutions particularly. We're uh, joined here uh, in studio by uh, Margaret Zaminda, who is Executive Vice President, Chief Financial Officer, Chief Operating Officer for the Barnes Foundation. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. So being a part of, of the conference that you are here uh, on Wharton today, what are the benefits that you see of not only being here, but interacting with so many other entities that are interested in analytics and knowing that the importance that analytics are having in this day and age? Well, it, it's um, it's so interesting to to see sort of the diversity of businesses that are represented at this conference today. Um, the keynote speaker is from General Motors. Um, there's a, a the CEO of Evite is here. Yep. Um, the uh, a, the a, the guy who's in the Cleveland Indians, and they're going to talk yeah. about analytics in terms of baseball recruiting. Yep. So I think I think it's so interesting. And I you know went to undergrad in the days of um, of cards where you would you know program your computer on yeah. on deck card that's, decks and leave right. them to uh, to um, be run overnight and hope your program didn't fail. So the the access to data and the the ability to manipulate it, um, you know, on your desktop is yeah. is is a, a revel is a revolution to me. And I think it's um, it's so interesting to see how um, how the use of data is evolving and how um, integral to the management of an institution it is. And I just think it's it's amazing. How do you think then that will continue to help develop? institutions like the Barnes and other fine arts institutions not only here in Philadelphia but around the country around the world I think that I mean there there are folks in our in our sector who are doing a way better job of um, use of analytics than we are but right. I'll be the first to admit it um, there's a, a group at the Art Institute of Chicago who are doing some really groundbreaking stuff in terms of prediction of admissions and the factors that go into it I, I think that 
you know, increasingly the donor community is is really looking for measurable outcomes from yeah. institutions like ours. And so that's the way that you communicate, you know, A, you have an outcome and B, that you measure it and you're able to talk about what your what your impact is. So there's no question that that from a from a donor relations perspective, which you know is where a lot of our of institutions like ours, um, you know, gain their support, it, it's becoming an an increasingly important part of of what we do. I, I also think that that you know you have you have to bring, you know, it's not just the numbers. You have to bring your experience. You have to bring your history. You have to bring all those other things together. But yeah. to the extent that you can synthesize the data as well as um, as well as your intuition and your understanding sure. of the business, um, that's where the really powerful um, knowledge comes and, out. And that's the a key point to bring up is that even though you have the strength of the data behind it, there is still an element of personal belief, of personal experience that has to play into the decision process, whether it be a nonprofit or or a, a for profit business. No, I think that I think that's right, and I think that's really important. But you also have to be able to articulate what that is. You have to be able to talk about yeah. um, what your experience is and how and how it shapes the way that you look at and understand the outcomes of the data. I think that's really important. How then if for the Barnes Foundation, because you are also in a unique situation that uh, I would guess that a, a, a good bit of the donor support comes from the baby boomer generation and that group. But I would think also you are starting to see a lot more of the millennial generation that is becoming involved. And it's unique because it's an institution that has to think generation by generation and continue to see that 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 support from different people that might have different mindsets. Exactly. And I think younger donors particularly um, want to see they want to see their money at work and and sort of the I would say the beauty of an institution like the Barnes is that we're small. So for us, you know, twenty five thousand dollar contribution is a big impact contribution. Sure. Um, you know, where where other institutions where the operating budget is larger and the and the and the um, the institution is is bigger, the infrastructure is bigger. It's a little harder to see. Um, and I do think we think hard about. Um, you know how we can demonstrate impact, and and for for a lot of younger donors, it, it's about the numbers. Not only just in terms of, of the people coming in and the revenue coming in, but I would imagine there are other elements of the of the of the foundation where analytics play a role in terms of understanding security and understanding catering, food service, etc. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a real living, breathing business. Um, you know, we yeah. we do. Um, you know, our our uh, earned revenue from admissions is three to four million dollars a year. We do another, you know, almost a million dollars in catering revenues and commissions. Um, we do another million, million and a half in um, sales in our gift shop. So all, all of those things, we look at margins, we look at inventory turns, we look at cost, yeah. we look at you know all the things that any other living, breathing um, business looks at. But it's interesting that uh, that to a degree, I think. There was always that that viewpoint where you had like the store the store where people are buying the souvenirs and such. It wasn't, I think, maybe as much with the actual people coming in the door, but the the opening of of this data, this big data world that that we're in, has really focused 
the 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 impact on every piece of the of business, business these days. Yeah, I think I think that's really true. And and I think the the piece that we have to get at, and this is you know where I think we will have an ongoing project with the folks at Wharton is um, to really understand the behavior of our customers yeah. in a much deeper way yeah. than than we do. Um, you know, we want to understand how many times a year somebody comes to visit who maybe isn't a member and how can we then solicit them for a membership and then how can we move them up the membership chain yeah. to, you know, to and how do we research them? Sorry, um, to under to understand their capacity to support the institution in a different way. Yeah. So so all of that, um, I think, is the piece that we haven't gotten to yet. And I would say there are institutions that are in our sector who are ahead of us on that. I was going to say, it's even getting a little bit closer to to being like an Amazon or a Google to a degree. Well, it is. I mean, we we would love to be everybody's favorite arts institution in Philadelphia um, or or in the world. So, um, you know, how do we create that loyalty? Um, how do we put programs on that make you want to come back? How right. how do we have the right merchandise in the shop so that we know that when you come, you'll you'll support the institution in that way? So where is that balance uh, of promoting the barns when you're talking about being an institution now that has really become a, uh, an integral part of the Philadelphia community and it is well known within Philadelphia in comparison to the visitors who will be coming into Philadelphia as well. Well, it's it's interesting that you say that because I actually think that the Barnes is more well known outside okay. of Philadelphia than it is inside Philadelphia. Okay. You know, when when I um, walk through the galleries on many days, the number of foreign languages that I hear being spoken in the galleries and the number of uh, different accents that I hear is sort of astounding, particularly, as you might imagine, in the summer sure. um, and yeah. the early fall. Yeah. Um, so, And I think we, we certainly have been heard of by a lot of folks uh, in Philadelphia, some, sometimes in uh, you know, as as you know, Dan, because you've you've been in Philadelphia, um, there was a little bit of controversy surrounding yeah. our move. Yeah. Um, but, yes. But it's <laughs> and I remember the old place you guys were at too. I bet you do. Yes. So I I think the trick now is is how to how to take knowledge and put it into action. How yeah. to create the urgency to to have people then say, ah, that's a place I need to go and I haven't been there yet. But that was a, a, a touching on that move specifically for a second, that was a unique moment, I, I guess, in the in the development of the Barnes Foundation. Absolutely. And f- again, for people that, that don't know this, uh, I, where I went to school, the rival high school of mine was right next door yep. to where the Barnes Foundation was in the suburbs of Philadelphia on a small suburban street built in around other homes. Exactly. So this is uh, this is a 180 move, or this was a 180-degree move from a small suburban street to downtown Philadelphia on a parkway where you see you know, tens of thousands of cars every day. Yep. Somebody compared it for me, to, uh, like going from using the garden hose to using a fire hose. And that is yeah. the way that it felt. I mean, the the change in the institution, um, it's not just about the building. It's it's about the, the depth of programming that we offer. Yeah. It's about the scope of our service to the community. Um, it's about the number of visitors that we see. Yeah. Um, you know, the maintenance of, of a building that is you know, eight times larger than than the building that we had in, in Marion. Um, you know, everything about the institution has changed. The move was a complete game changer. And so, we, you know, we did 
I'll say our level best when we were putting projections together about what things were going to be when we got yeah. downtown. I think we actually were pretty were pretty close uh, in terms of visitation. We thought we would see about two hundred fifty thousand visitors a year. Right. Um, we got there around twenty fifteen sixteen, and we thought, oh, okay, well now we're sort of at steady state. And what we've seen is that you know our our volume has continued to to vary. You know, within fifty thousand or so. Well, yeah. for an institution that's dependent on earned revenue, 50,000 visitors is a lot of visitors. So um, we really want to, we really needed to sort of dig in and understand what's happening there, which was the purpose for our project. Going back, and I think you touched on this a second ago, but just to refresh my memory, is that the relationship you have with Wharton, this this is an ongoing relationship because of the needs that the Barnes Foundation will probably have in the future yes. with all the different types of data points that are out there with an institution like yours. That's exactly right. And and the resource that they have to, A, help us organize the data yeah. and, B, help us to, you know, I- interpret it and think about it in a different way. I think a, a clear set of eyes that isn't buried in the business every day often can be um, a, a really clear um, sort of focusing um, view. And I think that's, um, you know, we're, we're open to all the help that we can get. Great meeting you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Margaret Zaminda, Executive Vice President of the Barnes Foundation. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.